Howdy y'all, welcome to this week's episode of Paul, Julian, and Friends, where I interview Brett Priestley with Three Peas and a Vine Winery in Athens, Texas. Brett has an interesting story, and we actually turned the recording off a little too soon. We didn't get to hear about his college career as a submarine-style college pitcher, so... You go out to Three Ps, make sure to ask him about that. But anyway, we did have an interesting conversation and hope you like the show. I'm here at Three Ps Winery in Athens, Texas with Brett Priestley. How are you? How did you come to Henderson County? Well, that, that's a long story. I'm going to try to give you the short version, but um, I, I, I'm from Iowa. Um, had a practice marriage up there, and after the, the practice marriage, I uh, uh, came down, down to Texas and um, got reacquainted with, uh, with what is now my uh, lovely wife, uh, Ray. Um, my oldest brother set us up again, and, and um, yeah, they tried to set us up back when I was in college. And we actually walked the aisle together at their wedding. Really? And uh, so that's how I got to know her. Everybody, everybody thinks that... That I met her on the internet, and that that is a it is a lie on that one. But um, uh, but we can we can embellish that story if we want to. But um, uh, so I came down here. She had a practice marriage as well. Had a uh, uh, a child out of that, Mackenzie. Um, and um, uh, but I came down and, and married her after dating for a while. Um, got into a lot of carpentry work down here, and. Um, and so basically, uh, I came down for a woman. All right. That's how I waiting on a woman. That. That's right. <laughs> it's nice when you can find the right one. It's a little bit of a miracle too. That's why practice made perfect. There you go. One. There you go. So, how did did y'all meet in Iowa? No, we we met down in uh, Texas here. Um, uh, I was on break or something um, from college and. Um, and in college, I, I, I was playing baseball at the time, and, and I don't know whether I was down on a, a tr- baseball trip or something, but uh, my brothers, um, they're my oldest brother and, and his wife, or it was at the time soon-to-be wife, um, uh, Ray and, and, and his soon-to-be wife was, was, uh, were good friends, and, and they decided to try to introduce us and, okay. and so that's how it was but i was i was we met down in texas actually again okay well good well it seems like it's worked out well and like second time's charm i hope yep. seems Stars like aligned. to be seems like to be obviously we're in the winery but that's not what you started doing so what year is all this when you come to texas and you and ray get married or mm-hmm. all that sort of stuff when are we talking um about? I moved down into Texas in 2009. Uh, we got reintroduced uh, around Thanksgiving and Christmas time of 2008. Um, it was late in 2009 when I moved down, um, and I was just doing a bunch of carpentry work, uh, you know, for a lot of the doctors down here. But um, I did not come down here to. I had no idea that wine business was going to be a, a part of my life. Um, so it was. Very fortunate. I, I, I came down and, and uh, long story short, uh, uh, there was a doctor that I was doing work for that had had the initial, initial uh, 99 Blanc de Bois plants planted on, in, a, in a vineyard on his place. 
And he had done all the research, went to, I believe, Florida A&M is what he told me, and where they developed the Blanc de Bois uh, hybrid. And he did all this research, bought some, had them planted on his place. They were eight-year-old vines at the time. Uh, this is back in about 2011 uh, when he actually um, uh, he offered them up to me and said he was taking a job in El Paso. And, and so he just gave me the plants. They were eight-year-old vines at that time. And, and he gave me plants, irrigation, the, the, uh, the um, uh, wires, the post, gave me his winemaking equipment. The infrastructure. All everything. And at that time, I was like, I asked my wife, I said, you know, do you care if I bring those over? And, and she's like, what are you going to do with all these grapes? <laughs> I said, I don't know. It'd just be kind of cool to have them. And, and so we, my brother and I dug them all up, brought them over, and, and uh, got our vineyard established here. And in, uh, out of 99 of those plants, uh, there were eight-year-old vines again. Uh, only one of them did not make really? it. Really? So, That's impressive. So, but originally, at that point in time, we still were not even thinking about doing a wine. Right, just got a crop of crop grapes, of grapes to do something with. Yeah. Now what am I going to do? Make jelly? Right. So, how big were the? I mean, how big were the bases on those that you? Bases were doing? probably about uh, an inch and a half, maybe. Okay. Uh, yeah, I mean their their trunks were pretty good size. They, so you had they to dig were, pretty. It was a yeah for ninety nine plants, we basically a hundred plants. That was a lot of digging and a lot, lot of digging. Of, okay, a lot of digging. We um, uh, we actually went out because uh, kind of the way the uh, the roots we figured out were growing along the uh, the drip irrigation system. So we 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 dug out like about two feet from from the base underneath the drip system, and then we did narrower on the sides and. Once we got down and, and we tried to dig as steep as we could to cut the tap root, and then we dry rooted them, brought them back, and this is all while they're dormant. Mm -hmm. And so, um, so the first year we we really worked on um, just trying to get them established and, and working on root growth. So we didn't let them grow any um, any long shoots. We didn't um, uh, anytime we saw any uh, grapes starting to form, we had cut those off. So so it was a hundred percent focusing on just get those roots established. And so I think that was a big, big part in why we only lost one plant at the time. A lot of babying. So, a lot of babying. But, but so we, again, we didn't even, we didn't even harvest that first year. Mm -hmm. um, second year we did harvest and we sold to a, a local winery here in town. And, um, and then um, after that we decided, you know what, there's no reason we couldn't maybe uh, start looking into uh, uh, starting a winery. So you had never done any like brewing or any anything like that? Well, before, or I, just... uh, when, when I moved down here, like I said, I, I came down here to do, uh, well, to Mary Ray, and then, and then I was doing carpentry work, and that was what my whole life was based on, mm -hmm. is, is having my uh, carpentry business. And, and uh, most of the people that my, my wife knew at the time uh, were, acquaintances anyway were a lot of people that have been around town a long time and a lot of uh, doctors and attorneys and stuff like that and so most of my business came from the doctors and there was another doctor here in town that um, that I did a lot of work for his name was Dr. Bowles and he was an orthopedic surgeon and uh, um, RIP to him he, he passed away last last year or earlier this year I guess um, but he would make uh, kit wine, okay. and 
if you ever talk to anybody in town, if anybody knew, I mean, everybody knew Dr. Bowles, but if they were always, if you ever have an opportunity to get a bottle of his wine, he oh, makes really? the best wine. Really? And, uh, but it was all kit wine. Mm -hmm. And so he, he started, uh, we started talking wine, of course, and, and uh, he taught me how to make kit wine. And so we started a big old uh, uh, little wine, um, uh, kind of a little wine club. Mm -hmm. uh, and we had, I think it was, it was like four or five doctors and, and maybe an attorney or something. And I was the peon. I was the, I was the lowly, <laughs> lowly carpenter. So, um, so we made all this wine. We'd, we'd have little get-togethers at people's houses. Um, we'd all start them at the same time, and then we'd do a blending party. And so uh, some of our, our things that we do here at the winery are a, a result of, uh, of what happened with those uh, blending parties. And I'll explain that one a little later. Okay. <laughs> the uh, post-interview? Yeah, well, post or, or even or during the interview. Oh, we'll, okay, gotcha. Um, if we get into more some of the things we do in the winery, uh, one of our events came directly from that. So, are you now? You're still balancing the home building and the winery. I don't know about balancing. Okay, so trying uh, to balance. Trying to balance that. Um, I tell everybody um, my uh, work week is about. I, I do about a nine day work week. Sometimes get in forty hours or close to that in in the building mm -hmm. stuff. Um, you know, it's. Uh, it doesn't end just just at the you know uh, when you leave your your job site. It it ends when you shut down the computer at night, uh, having to deal with somebody's billing or or um, answering questions and all that. But so you, you you work pretty much five days a week there, and then you come home and and immediately Friday night you start opening the winery from five to ten, and then Saturday noon to ten, and Sunday one to five. It gets that's, that's a lot of hours. It and, is. That's a lot of big commitment. Yeah. For, so, um, but couldn't do it without uh, without the help that I have too. Sure, sure. So how long? I mean, we're in a nice building right now, and I think we, Melissa and I, came out here shortly after you opened. May not have been. I don't think the building was even 100 percent maybe finished I mean mostly finished but this this building um, when we opened the winery in, in 2005 or yeah 2015 um, it was completed on on the inside of this building now since probably since then uh, I know there's been other construction projects that you've seen go on it's probably our storage uh, building and then uh, during COVID I built a uh, what we call the press it's a, our metal building it's a production building uh, it's where we do um, our winemaking, we do have a, a event area over in there as well um, for special events. I don't know how much convincing you had to do when you brought home the grapes about, oh, you know, what are you going to do with these things? Ah, we're going to grow some grapes. We'll see what we can do. And then, and then after a few years, then it, you're thinking, okay, I can make some wine or I'll learn how to do that. But then it's another big step to, to opening and building. You know, a dedicated building and opening a winery. So exactly, um, what, how we actually uh, uh, got got to the point where we decided, or when we decided we were thinking about doing a winery was was after after that year that uh, our first year of, of actually uh, selling the grapes. Um, we have another uh, 
couple that, that we're good friends with that we traveled all over the um, as many to as many wineries as we could all over Texas. We went down to Del Rio. We went uh, we went to Fredericksburg. We went uh, out west. I, I don't know how many wineries we went to, but we started looking at. Um, um, we didn't know the first thing about having a winery, but we wanted to go and see how other wineries did it. We didn't, we didn't necessarily want to go to the big wineries because we don't have any aspirations to be a big winery. Um, we went to some of the smaller ones, but the, the ones that we, we felt were classy and, and, and um, you know, that had a good name recognition and, and stuff, but went in there and, and uh, for each one that we went to, we were always looking at it as, as okay, what, what 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 grabs our eye when when we go in? I mean, curb appeal, uh, and then once you get in the door, what what inside was really cool that um, that that maybe um, you know gave us some ideas. We my wife always had a notepad with her, and and or else if if she didn't take it in with her, she'd she'd write notes after she got out of each place. But um, uh, we'd go in and and you know it's 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 simple little things that we we would notice that that. You know, you go into a place and, and um, notice that the the uh, person who's working work in the winery never gets out from behind the bar or something. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like uh, um, they they didn't want to. They you know some places didn't want to go out and assist you or, or come to meet right. you at the door or all this stuff. And it's like, well, there's one thing that uh, that you know I want to see done better. Uh, then you you have um, you know just just various other things. I mean, as uh, as little as as how we set up the tables or or even the tables that I built, um, those came directly from an idea from Parasos down in uh, Burnet. Um, uh, they had tables that were made exactly the same, well, or fairly close to the same, except theirs were longer and and stuff. And we thought we'd make ours more compact, but. Mm -hmm. We love the look. We love the idea of them, uh, and they kind of had a couple other little things that, that were neat to us, I guess. Um, and then probably one of the, the things that we get the most questions about is uh, uh, having you know just readers in the uh, in the in the buckets on our tables. Um, you know, we went into one winery and 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 my wife goes in and, and doesn't have reading glasses, can't read the menu and. And she asked, she goes, do you, do you guys by chance have a pair of reading glasses? And, and the lady behind the bar, she, she pulls out this box from behind the bar, had like 20 different pairs of reading glasses. And she's like, oh, that's a cool idea. So again, that's one of those things that we like that idea, but we thought we're going to take that one step farther. Mm -hmm. So we put reading glasses on every table in our little uh, uh, buckets that have our tasting slips. And I don't know how many times somebody will tell us, oh, somebody forgot their glasses. Or how many times we have people put them on their head, walk wow. out, and then the next thing you know, you get a call or else they come back and say, hey, I'm so sorry, I stole your glasses. It's like, you know, really, you- That's not stealing. You, you, wasted, <laughs> you wasted that much well, gas coming back for a, for a $1 pair of glasses. It's a good excuse to buy more wine or have more wine. Absolutely. but. Um, so we, we went out and we um, we we, we wrote, did a lot. Of, we called it our wine research and and tried to write off as much as we could on that. Right. <laughs> That's the, or give know, us an excuse to drink wine anyway. True. And, and yeah. We found all some that. good wines and all those are good things. 
this is a unique building. There's not been, I mean, we've been in a decent amount of wineries as well. So tell us about the type of building that this is, and is this the type of construction that you primarily do? Yeah, um, our, uh, log, or our uh, winery is a log house. Um, we build it uh, as a winery, a house. Uh, it's, uh, uh, it could easily be converted to a house if, if, you, if we ever didn't have a winery in it. But um, uh, yes, I, I build log houses, or I finish out log houses um, during the week. That's my constru- or carpentry job. Um, we do some remodels as well, but uh, primary thing that we like to focus on is the uh, is the log houses and and um, uh, there's a company out of Longview uh, called Satterwhite. The they'll build the shell and put up the shell, and then we basically GC the whole project, and we get everybody in the plumbers, the electricians, and we do all the trim work, all the tongue and groove, all the finish work on the inside and. Um, you know, we, we finish it out, so we, we pretty much do a turn the turnkey after the shell's built. Um, and so that's, you know, since um, when I first moved down here, it's always a dream of mine to have a log house. And um, I never did. Um, uh, back in my practice marriage, uh, uh, she wasn't uh, that, that interested in log houses, and, and at the time we didn't want to spend the money on it, but... Um, Thank goodness uh, I divorced well enough that I could. <laughs> I could uh... <laughs> so, what kind of challenges do you, you know, working with something like that log? I mean, they're popular in this area, have been mm-hmm. for a long time. Oh, they are. Uh, to some extent. I mean, you're like doing chainsaw. I mean, does all this stuff that we see come as part of the kit, or are they like custom built to. Once the shell's up, do you go in and. We custom, we custom this. Custom we that. we custom everything. Um, yeah, the uh, uh, we get most of our materials, virtually all the materials, but uh, I'd, I'd say probably most of them uh, is probably more accurate uh, from Satterwhite. They have their own mill and stuff. But um, uh, like our big beams that we put up on the ceilings, and we get those from Satterwhite. And then my brother and I, uh, he works for or with me, and. Um, and so we, we actually, uh, he and I are a team, and we, we, we pretty much uh, do most of the, we do all the beam work ourselves, all the tongue and groove, and all the general carpentry. Um, I, I do have a cabinet guy, but um, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a lot of work, and it's dangerous work. Um, mm-hmm. People don't, don't understand this when, we, when we're doing that, and um, the, the, the most dangerous part of my job is, is putting up the... Um, uh, the beams, you know, I know they're, uh, they're aesthetics. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but when you put those up, uh, uh, you know, one, one wrong move that sure. you have uh, 500 pounds falling on you and, right. or maybe not quite 500, but, but a lot, a lot. <laughs> more than what one would want to have yes. at your head. Um, Is that pine? Is it? It's all spruce, spruce. on those. Okay. Yeah. Um, you know, and a lot of times we're working off scaffolding too up mm-hmm. there and, and, um, uh, my job's taking a toll on me. I've fallen off scaffolding. Really? I've uh, fallen off ladders. Uh, it's amazing I'm alive even. But uh, after <laughs> after one knee uh, replacement surgery, I'm doing yeah. all right. Well, let's get get a, like a a bounce pad underneath you. Fall <laughs> I, I need to have a trampoline or something. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So, well, have you struggled with? 
everything else home building wise over the last few years uh, materials uh, keeping your contractors, I mean, but then the business came back, and so you had no business, I would presume, or little, yeah, during and then it comes back, boom, and then it's like, we can't get the stuff we need to, right. to do the job. Yeah, the, um, you know, before COVID hit, um, we didn't have a lot of trouble getting, getting the um, uh, materials. Um, you know, and many times our uh, contracts, we'd, we'd make these contracts with people, and, you, you you do the bids on them and, and it's not un, uncommon for it to be a, a, a year out from the time you bid the thing to the time when, when we actually get started because number one, Satterwhite, you, you get in a queue for them because they have only a certain number of crews and they're building the uh, shells and those shells take a, a month and a half to build if not a little more. And so uh, with as many as they put up, uh, you're on a waiting list for months before you ever, you know, after you purchase your shell, uh, you're on a waiting list for months before Satterwhite can even get the um, uh, the shell started. And um, so many times it's uh, it's it's easily nine months to to a year and a half before before Satterwhite will even get started, or or and then and then another three or or one and a half to three months before we can get started after that. So then when COVID hit, um, you know, we didn't have a fluctuation before COVID in, in the price of materials that much. So, you know, if, it, uh, if, if the bid was done, you know, that far out, most of the time you're able to say, oh, you know, it's only gone up like a couple percent or whatever, and it's no big deal. Uh, you know, and you, you, That's you understand whatever, but, but after COVID you're seeing 300% increases in, in PVC and, uh, in, in electrical, I mean, just, you know, a, a roll of wire went up so much. And so you have these, these bids that are done a long time ago and you can't, there's no way you can honor mm -hmm. that kind of, uh, um, you know, after a, a year and a, or a year of waiting. You can't honor that kind of a price increase because you can't. I mean, you can't expect your builder to go out and, and take take a loan out on on my own house so I can pay for somebody else's house. And uh, most people have been very uh, good about that, where they understand. Mm -hmm. And so we only change um, uh, material costs. If if the material increase, we we pay attention to what the increased amount of the materials was from the time of the bid to the time, the current market value, and increase it that way so it's fair to the customer. I've heard several people in that line of work just say, we, this is what it is today. Yours will be here in six weeks. Uh, it's probably gonna be somewhere around that, but you honestly don't even, you can't even really say. I mean, mm -mm. we will give you the kind of the end price when, we get to the end because a lot of it's time and material right. anymore and and um, uh, I mean unfortunately that's the way it's got to be with the fluctuating prices um, I mean because you know everybody everybody needs to make make a living sure. so it's got to be profitable that's right people so what do you do on all your you know your free time <laughs> there is no free time. This is the free yeah, time. This is free time. We're no. sitting in the free time. Uh, my free time is is, is minimal. Um, it, it truly is. I, 
things I enjoy doing um, is I love being if if I can if I can sit down, I'll sit and watch watch some uh, Netflix shows with my wife. Uh, we enjoy that. We enjoy uh, my gosh if um, if we aren't doing something in an evening. Give it ten minutes, and or my wife's on the up. phone, and we have uh, we have uh, somebody that wants to go out to eat or, or have us over for whatever drinks or whatever. It's yeah. um, so my schedule's busy all the time. I I don't have a lot of free time, and and if I if I do, I love to fish, I love to hunt, and I love to uh, I haven't golfed in years, but I I love to do that. As you know, that takes that, that easy, takes a easily pushed back. Yeah, I've my dad's a he's seventy eight and he shot a seventy nine a few weeks ago at oh Canton and he's pretty good. And wow. I keep my little junior set of clubs and I've got about seven or eight clubs and I keep them in there and thinking I should I just need to go over and join. He plays twice a week at Canton, so wow. I, I just. That's what it keeps getting pushed back. It keeps going. Oh, you know, I can, maybe next week, maybe next week. But yeah, maybe maybe if I can get some customers, uh, on, not not on the winery side, but on the uh, carpentry side, to really get me uh, irritated enough with uh, with carpentry, <laughs> I'll I'll retire from that and just go 100% winery, and then then I'll take some time and maybe start golfing again. You went. Uh, we came out here a few months ago, maybe back in the spring. And you were on a hunting trip. Is that yeah. sound right? Yeah. What were, where was that? And what were you? Um, what was the game? Let's see. You say it was the spring. It must have been winter. It must have been uh, December. Earlier this time. year. Yes. So. Okay. In December, I uh, I usually go up to visit uh, my friends up in Iowa. And, okay. And I go deer hunting up there in Iowa uh, for the shotgun season, and um, spend a week up there, and and we always have fun. We we do well. Shoot. You know, we, we shoot quite a few deer, um, uh, um, but the thing is, is you know, it's not necessarily all about just going to, to shoot the deer. It's right. it's more of the getting together with Alan friends and and having fun and and stuff. But um, yeah, that was a, a deer trip at the time. So. Bring anything back? Um, I ended up getting a, a small buck up there, and then a um, a number of does. Um, I usually leave the uh, meat for them. Uh, I, I brought back a little bit. Um, uh, we always make sure it gets used, uh, but most of the people up there that I hunt with, they like to can mm-hmm. deer because they, they end up uh, having canned deer all, really? all year. Canned deer? Canned deer meat. And wow. I, I thought, oh my gosh, that can't be good. And actually they, uh, they made some uh, uh, kind of like beef stroganoff or whatever mm-hmm. stroganoff noodles or whatever right and use that canned deer and it was what cut are they using I mean, what cut are they using on, or whatever they have they're or? just cutting cutting cubes out of the uh out of the uh, uh hams and we, everything we actually have some deer in the oven at home we tried to eat it last night <laughs> it was a tenderloin and we cooked it in the crock pot mm-hmm. and as soon as i poked on it i said this ain't good I've seen it done in slices. So we pulled it out, cut it in slices. I mean, there is not one piece of fat, one oh, bit no. of fat on that thing. No, it's very and so we cut it up into smaller deals, and now we're trying to do, um, trying to make some kind of stroganoff 
uh -huh. a lot of it, not just to get it tender. Right. You know, well, the problem I think people have when when they um, when they cook wild game such as deer or elk or or whatever they um, they overcook it. Um, it's since it has very little fat in it. Um, uh, in order to keep it really, really where it's moist mm -hmm. and and, and um, tender, you need to you need to cook it on the on the medium rare side. Okay. Um, you know, I I used to be I used to have the stigma about um, you know I could go and eat pretty much a you know side of a cow with, you know while I'm still walking I you know I, uh, the more rare it is the better but um, you know I, I uh, always was worried about what if you undercook deer. But um, you know everybody's worried about all the chemicals that, that we put in in our livestock, beef, yeah. beef and, and stuff. Well, these wild game don't have that chemical. I mean, they they they've not been vaccinated and all this, and and so they're probably a much healthier meat. And so I was always worried about uh, having it too rare, and and I got to thinking about that a while back. That that um, you know it makes sense not cooking it quite as much. It doesn't have. You're not trying to cook stuff out of it. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. And, and it, it is better when it's a little more rare. That's why I stopped eating a lot of venison steaks, because every time you put them on the grill, it seemed like they dried out too much, and, okay. and they, they were just a little tougher than... Gotcha. So tell me about the wine we're drinking. The wine we're drinking is uh, one of my favorites of our whites. Uh, it's one that we actually... Um, uh, we make three different wines here on premise, and then we uh, make uh, the rest of them off-premise. I, I work with another winemaker, but the particular one we're drinking now is called Porch Swing. Uh, Porch Swing is a blend of our uh, Blanc de Bois grapes that we grow. Um, uh, basically, I made it into Blanc de Bois, and then I, I blended it with 50-50 uh, with a uh, orange muscat. And that came from the High Plains, um, off, I believe off the Binghams, um, out, in the, out in the meadow. But uh, did a 50-50 blend of it, and, and I really liked it for a while. It, it stayed in the tank for a long time. Um, but then the, uh, the orange muscat started coming through and, and, and got a little bitter, uh, left a bitter taste at the end. So I ended up bringing in um, some Riesling off, oops, off the High Plains and, um, and added about 30 gallons of Riesling to it. And... and that really lightened it up and, and gave it a nice blend and, and I started really liking it a lot. Well, um, it stayed in the tank for a long time. My, my wife still wasn't a big fan of it, but then right before we bottled it, uh, what, when was it, about four weeks ago, uh, right before harvest, um, uh, I made some adjustments to it. I added some citric acid and it, it made it a little bit more citric uh, or citrusy and, and gave it a little acid and, and it brought the pH down a little bit and now that it's in the bottle it, it's one of my wife's favorites of the whites now and she wouldn't drink it right before we bottled okay. it. It's very clean, very refreshing but not yeah. too sweet, it's not too anything. Yeah, it's, it's, it, it is 100% dry, I did not, um, I didn't add any, you know, we didn't back sweeten it at all. Uh, I think the the sweetness comes from the the riesling, mm -hmm. um, even though that was uh, was was a dry riesling. Um, riesling 
comes across and kind of tricks you to make you you think that you have a little bit of sweetness there. So, right. Okay. Um, <laughs> I don't mind being but, tricked. Yeah, but no, that's one of my favorites. I uh, I really enjoy this one. So if somebody wants to learn more or about three Ps, in fact, what are the three Ps? Okay, three Ps, um, and I kind of briefly mentioned this earlier that uh, that. Uh, in my wife's practice marriage, she had a daughter named Mackenzie. Her last name was Parrish, is Parrish. And, um, and so uh, uh, our last name is Priestley. So mine and my wife's names are Priestley's, P's, and then, um, and then Mackenzie Parrish. And so she was a third P, but she came up with the name. She, okay. We were uh, trying to come up with a winery name. And um, I don't know, I think we were... We were walking around in the grapes at the time, and um, uh, we were noticing. It was about the time when when we were about ready to harvest, I believe, um, or, or getting close. The grapes were, were growing anyway, and and somehow all three of us were out there and, and talking about the if we did a winery, what it would be, and and Mackenzie came up with the idea of uh, three peas in a vine, because. Uh, because well, the three priests, or well, the two priestlies in the parish were out there, and um, of course, my mom and everybody else that has a P in their name think that they're the third <laughs> one. But um, everybody can uh, be have yeah. their own little story or their That's own thing right. to it. So tell us the hours you're open and how people can get in touch with. Yeah, we um, uh, uh, to get a hold of us, we we like to to do Facebook and use Messenger and stuff a lot. Let's just go go to the 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 number three. P apostrophe S I N A Vine. So, uh, and and you look that up on uh, Facebook and and um, like us out there, and you you'll uh, get to see our posts out there. Um, we try not to put too much out, but uh, try to put all of our events out as we can. Mm -hmm. And then we also have a website. Uh, it is three uh, Ps in a Vine dot com, and it's just uh, it's all one word. Uh, the number three P S I-N-A-V-I-N-E dot com. It shows all of our events. It has pictures. It has a little blog. Um, it talks about uh, um, an upcoming trip that we're going to be doing and being a wine host on a uh, Bordeaux River uh, cruise oh, really? in France. That uh, so that's coming fun. up in, um, in next April. Um, and our hours, as far as uh, the winery goes, we're open uh, every weekend unless something comes up, but uh, uh, we've very rarely been closed. Um, but uh, we're open Friday 5 to 10 p.m., and then Saturday noon to 10 p.m., and then Sunday 1 to 5. Well, it's been fun talking to you, and check out Three Peas Winery, Three Peas and a Vine on Facebook or online. And uh, Brett, it's great talking to you. Thank you. I appreciate it. You bet. All right. So.